you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, welcome in. This is Dan Miller. This is the podcast for finding or creating work that you love. You know, I always add that little tag in there or creating because, you know, in today's environment, you may not find the perfect job. A lot of the questions we're going to be covering today deal with exactly that frustration in the typical J-O-B. Well, you may not find what fits you. We're so, so individualized, so unique, each one of us. It may require creating work that you love. And fortunately, it's never been easier to do just that. The obstacles have been pretty much removed. The barriers have been lowered. If you can't find a job that you love, then create work that you love. Well, we're going to be talking about that and more in today's 48 Days Online radio show right here. You're at the right place. We're going to unpack questions you, the listeners, have submitted. Here's some of the questions we're going to get to. Hey, I'm going to give you a tip on the best way to get rich. You're going to be surprised. Here's the best way to get rich. I'll tell you that in a second. Here's some of the questions. Dan, I was abandoned by my father when I was five years old, and now I will not commit to any relationship, either personally or in work. I've been testing, or I've been treating the search for my calling like the search for my spouse, the one vocation in which I will spend the rest of my life. Well, that's an interesting dilemma, interesting kind of metaphor that the listener has used there is finding the perfect work or career like finding a spouse and eh, not really well dan i've always marched to the beat of my own drummer now i'm 30 broke father of two and i'm exhausted dan i work in a job that is high stress it's making me sick and is going nowhere I make $55,000 now, interviewed for a job. They offered me $45,000. How does someone keep from getting some crazy lowball offer like that? Well, those are some of the questions we're going to be talking about. All right, here's my tip. Earl Nightingale said, if honesty had not been created, someone would have invented it as the best way of getting rich. How about that? You thought it was going to be something super scientific? Expialidocious? Nah, the best way to get rich is to be honest. What about that as a principle? You know, it always baffles me when I see people who are purposely deceitful. I'm thinking, you know, how long do you think it's going to be before that comes back to bite you? Why aren't you just honest? Once you tell that one little untruth, white lie, then you just have to keep telling them to cover that up. It's a whole lot easier to just be honest. I was talking with a couple of home builders this morning about that very thing, how many subcontractors, how many people who work in that industry are dishonest, just thinking that, well, somehow it won't be found out. You know, if I don't put conduit over this line, it's going to be buried anyway. Nobody's going to know the difference. If I don't really put the insulation in between the walls that I promised the customer, who's going to ever know? Well, those things have a way of coming back and sabotaging your future success. Why not just be honest? You know, speaking of the traits of people who are highly successful just wrote a little piece on this yesterday. You know, what are the, what are those secrets we, we keep hearing about? You know, the secrets of success, the secrets that'll make you rich. 
all these things. Well, they aren't really secrets. They're pretty obvious. But if you look at people, I mean, I've, I've watched people that have been very successful for many years. They've always fascinated me. No matter what kind of line of work they're in, I'm just fascinated with people that seem to have an uncanny ability to be extremely successful in whatever they do. I mean, I've talked to a guy this morning early as well, who seems to have kind of what we call the Midas touch. It just seems that everything he does ends up being successful, even if it's very different lines of work, very different businesses, just whatever he touches seems to turn to gold. That's a pretty cool thing. So I look at what is it that makes somebody really successful? Now, what I found is they don't work more hours than you do. They don't sacrifice their health or family. Uh, They typically don't have more degrees, certificates, or licensure than you. They weren't just lucky or born into the right family or born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Yeah, they probably don't have a higher degree than you have. They didn't win the lottery. So what are the traits shared by truly productive people? Again, I've been watching these people since I was a farm kid in Ohio, just fascinated by watching people. You know, when I was a little farm kid, I mean, we were very poor. And most of the people that we knew were poor. The people that we lived around, the neighbors, the people we went to church with, were all pretty much in the same boat. And then there was the family doctor, Dr. Hickson. Dr. Hickson would come out to see us in his shiny big black car. And I thought, man, there's a dude that's successful. That's the kind of life I want to live. Not out here sweating away, throwing hay bales and milking cows at 530 in the morning. But wow, just living the lap of luxury where I could wear nice clothes, ride nice cars, have people think highly of me, pay me a lot of money. Wow, now there's a life. And so I'd watch people like that. But He was one of the ones. And that was one of the reasons I started out in pre-med in school was because of that one influence in my life as a little farm kid, Dr. Hickson. Well, I changed as I went along to some other areas of focus, but I've always been fascinated in watching people like that. Well, here's some things. I'll give you some quick tips that I see repeatedly in people who are super successful. Number one, access to counsel. They take advantage of the best advice through coaching, mentoring. I mean, they attend workshops, listen to audio programs, They're in one-on-one interaction with someone who has a high level of success in a particular area. They just get around people who are already successful and then take advantage of the counsel and coaching that you can get there. Number two, connections and collaborations. High achievers have wide networks. They get more done by bouncing ideas off other high achievers. You know, we, we tend to raise or lower our performance to match the expectations of a reference group. So if you spend time with high achievers, you will be pulled up to match their pace. If you spend a lot of time with losers, you'll be pulled down to match theirs. It's just part of the human psychology. Number three, they take breaks. It's easy to think that high achievers just put in more time. You know, they're working 70 hours a week instead of 50, but that's just not true. There's really not a correlation between the time people spend in work and the success levels that they achieve. That's one of the key principles at helping people break into higher levels of success is recognizing it's not a matter of more time. It's a matter of doing things differently. And when you do things differently, I mean that little subtle transition that we talk about here between linear and residual work, 
is one of those things. If you understand that distinction between linear work, where you do something once you get paid once in residual income, you do something once and you can get paid 10,000 times. So I look for things that give me residual income. What that means though, is I may put in a 20 hour week and make more than I could make working 50 hours. If all I understood was the principle of linear work and you can do the same. Well, people who are really successful, then they take breaks. They take frequent breaks, refresh their mind. I mean, when I get up after be staring at the computer screen for three or four hours, you know, and get up and walk down the lane. Wow. That's when I may get a really creative idea or come up with the title of my next book. It's in those breaks. It's not just in concentrated focused study, but it's in the breaks. That's why we hear a lot about the best ideas often come to people in the showers. Well, make sure you're building in breaks. So you don't just think that intensity is what it takes to be more successful. Number four, these people have these characteristics of high achievers. They have lives outside of work. I mean, rather than being fanatically focused on nothing but work, high achievers tend to have rich private lives. They have interest outside of work and those help refine different skills, broaden their options. Again, something you can do as well. Certainly something I try to do. And number five, and I'll stop with the strategies and systems. Now you could kind of, uh, condense the processes used by highly successful people as focus, clarity, plan, execute. Again, that's focus, clarity, plan, execute. Those are the things that high achievers do. They don't wait for the economy to get better. They don't wait for the boss to recognize their talent. They don't wait for others to approve what they're doing. Nah, you, you don't need to spend money, get another degree or win a contest. You just can adapt these characteristics and it'll put you in the class of super achievers. Now here's the deal. Once you know the traits, if you choose not to do them, you have no excuse. Again, the things that I talked about here don't require any money. They don't require going back to school. They don't require increasing your IQ. No, those were again, access to counsel connections and collaborations, rejuvenating breaks, have a life outside of work, have strategies and systems. Those are things that you can do. Those are things that I observed in highly successful people years ago have tried to build into my own life and have been pleased with the results. You can do the same. Let me know how that works for you to use a Dr. Phil line. Well, Dave from Michigan says, I just realized that I suffer from commitment phobia. I was abandoned by my father when I was five years old, but I never knew that this was subconsciously affecting my career and relationships. I'm 32 years old, have never been married and have never been able to stay at a company for more than two years at a time. Once I achieved some success within the company, I would start to find faults about my job, the company I work for. So by finding faults, I would then open the door for my decision to leave. I've never been able to have a long-term relationship with a woman. After three to six months of dating, I begin to find faults about them. Then I end up sabotaging the relationship. How do I resolve perfectionism and long-term commitment issues? Well, great question, Dave. You know, we all have those things in our background that we seem to think are obstacles or hindrances to our future success, but that's just part of the deal. Recognize we all have those things. We all have parenting issues. We all 
you know, we're born under the wrong star. We were born into the wrong family. We were too short, too tall, too black, too white, too whatever. I hear those things all the time. Just recognize it's just your particular issue that you have to deal with and personal introspection and understanding of the beginning stages of being able to change. So having you be able to just frame this, that recognizing these patterns, now you're 32 years old, you recognize these patterns that you see. There may have been an impact from being abandoned by your father when you were five years old, but now you're 32 years old. That's 28 years later. So you can draw that proverbial line in the sand and say, okay, now that I know that has the potential to impact me, I can compensate for that and I can change and make my own decisions. Now it's not that simple. I recognize you're dealing with some deep, deep psychological stuff here in this question, but I would recommend a couple books for you. One is the blessing by John Trent and Gary Smalley. Now in that book, they talk about the importance of having a father's blessing. And in the absence of that, know how guys tend to not do very well but you can supplement for that a couple other books that i know of, these are guys a couple guys who have been to recent events they've been to our right to the bank events here at the sanctuary and now they've written books two of them that are very applicable to what you're talking about one by dan kuiper his last name is k-u-i-p-e-r he wrote a book called when father is a bad word now you understand that, you know, when father is a bad word, uh, his website is findingfatherslove.com. Another one written by Jerry Hines. He wrote a book and I love this title, be the dad you wish you had. Isn't that a great title? Just rolls off your tongue. Great alliteration, but a, a certainly a strong concept. Be the dad you wish you had. I mean, I dealt with some of that, recognizing things in my own dad that I didn't want to duplicate. I just decided, you know what? Okay, I'm going to be different than that. You know, there's a story that Tony Robbins tells, and it's actually a story that he heard, but I'll, I'll give you a real short summary here. And it addresses what you're talking about. Okay, you suffer from commitment phobia because you were abandoned by your dad when you were five years old. Now you see all these negative patterns in your own life because of that. Here's the deal. Now, this is going to kind of give a synopsis for the principle that I want to convey here. Tony Robbins tells this story, a gentleman who, you know, grew up, he was doing okay, but got into some tough times. He turned to alcohol and drugs as kind of a crutch. And in a moment of despair, wanting to provide not only for his own drugs, but food for his family, robbed a little convenience store, had a gun. The guy behind the counter made a, a quick move and uh, he certainly never intended to. But the guy that was in there started spraying bullets and in that the proprietor of the store was hit and actually died as a result of his wounds. That gentleman went to prison. He had two sons. They were about two years apart in age. Now, as they grew up, this gentleman that Tony was referring to wanted to check in on them just to see how they were doing because he cared about their father. So when the sons were about 30 years old, he checked in with them. Well, the first son had done extremely well. And he was a very respected sales guy, was making good money, had three kids, happy family. And the other son had taken a different path. The other son, like his dad, had resorted to drugs and alcohol as a way to cope. And again, as unfortunate as it may be, 
He resorted to robbing a little store. Nobody was killed, but he had a gun. Some shots were fired and he ended up in prison. So this gentleman asked both of these sons the same question. You know, how do you explain where you are in life at this particular time? And both sons, having not talked to each other at all, answered like this. The first son, who was doing very well, who was very successful, he said, well, with a father who ended up in prison, I had a perfect role model of what not to do. It was pretty simple. Just don't do those things so I could create a different life. The second son says, well, with the father who ended up in prison, how could I have done anything but what I did? I did exactly the same things and I'm in prison. Both of them pointed to the father as the reason for the lives they had chosen. And yet the lives were very, very different. I think we can do the same thing. I think we can recognize what those potential forces are in our own lives, but then choose to respond differently. But great question. I hope you can come to the come to a positive understanding of that and move forward with positive results in your own life. Terry from Florida says up to this point, I've been treating the search for my calling, like the search for my spouse, the one vocation in which I will spend the rest of my life. I have about five great ideas based on my abilities and desires, all of which are varied and unrelated. I would like to try them all eventually. You often speak about your many successful past ventures and how you're always searching for new ways to generate income, even if they are unrelated to the coaching business for which you are best known. My inability to commit to one vocation for the rest of my life is keeping me from doing anything at all. Should I just pick an idea and start or start multiple ideas? Is it okay to start a new vocation every few years? Any guidance on this subject would be greatly appreciated. Well, Terry, again, boy, you framed that question really, really well. You've been treating the search for your career or your calling. Yeah, actually you say for your calling, like the search for your spouse, the one vocation in which you'll spend the rest of my life. Now, the terms you use here are very significant. In 48 Days to the Work You Love, I distinguish between vocation and career and job. And I want to encourage you to do that same in what we're talking about here. Vocation is the big picture. We can put in that same category, calling, purpose, mission, destiny. Okay. That, that, that's the big picture, but let's call it vocation. Since you use that term here, vocation is the big picture that ought to include you know, how you want to be remembered. You know, the most significant things you want to do. So let's just say that you want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. That would be a legitimate example of vocation. Career, however, is a subset. If we use that as an example, you want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. All right. What could you do as a career that would in fact embrace that vocation or calling to help reduce pain and suffering in the world? Well, you could be a physician. You could be a nurse. You could be a pathologist, microbiologist. You could be a sports trainer, a massage therapist, and we could go on. You could be a politician, teacher, or pastor and effectively help reduce pain and suffering in the world. Thus, we see there is not one application of a vocation. There are many. Job then is the smallest component. So we have vocation, career, and job. Job is the smallest component. Hey, a job is simply what we do day by day to create an income and feed the family. If we frame it in that way, we take the pressure off the job being all important. Jobs will come and go. We know that we can't stop that. But losing a job or quitting a job on your own choosing should never change your vocation or calling. So 
In one sense, finding your vocation, yes, is like finding a spouse. It should be a lifetime decision and it's not going to change. But in the way that you describe it here, in, in the way that I just described the distinctions, you can have one vocation, but then you could have multiple careers and hundreds of jobs. That's okay. So don't confuse those two terms, those three terms. But yes, you can find a vocation that should continue forever. I mean, my vocation or calling has to do with helping people find their purpose their God-given talents and how to turn that into effective, meaningful work. But now you see very quickly and how I frame that, that doesn't mean that I have to continue being a coach. I could be a professor at a university. I could be a teacher. I could be a, a grade school teacher. I could go back into selling cars. I could still embrace that vocation in that environment. So I can change careers all I want to and still hang on to that one vocation that I defined at a particular defining point of my own life. So I would encourage you to see it in that way. Yeah. Treat, treat the search for your calling, like a search for your spouse, one that you're going to, where you're going to spend the rest of your life. But then the other things that you talk about, the multiple ventures that you want to have in the here, things you hear me talk about on here, those are not changing the vocation. Those are changing the career or even just the job. And you can do that all day long. Eric says, Dan, I love the show. I've come to realize that one of my biggest passions is podcasting. I love listening to them, discovering new shows I'm interested in. And I especially love telling people about them. I think my girlfriend's sick of hearing about them. I've even got the equipment to start my own soon. I don't enjoy the job I'm in now, but I can see how much this business would benefit from having a podcast. It's a huge industry with hundreds of companies doing the same thing nationwide, but there are no podcasts on the subject. And if I just happen to work at a place that could benefit so much from a podcast, there must be many more that could also benefit. So I'm starting, I'm considering starting a podcasting business. I would have all the equipment and travel to clients, businesses to record their podcast. I would take care of recording production, promotion and distribution of the podcast. I think it would be easy to sell companies on the benefits as someone who has a podcast for your company, 48 days. If you didn't have the technical know-how of how to do it, would you pay someone every week to come to do all the work for you? Eric, Eric, no, I would not. One of the reasons that podcasting is so appealing to me is that I don't have to depend on production guys. When I had a live radio show on terrestrial radio, you know, I would have to go down to the studio. Then there would be production people there and I'd have to make sure all the equipment's working and coordinate with their schedules, be there at a particular time and so on. I don't have to do any of that in podcasting. That's why I love podcasting. It's so flexible and so easy to do. When I started out, I started with a downloaded program free program called audacity and a $19 lapel mic from radio shack. I did a podcast for a couple years built into, you know, like 50,000 listeners with that kind of equipment. Then I had a guy tap me on the shoulder and said, Hey, I don't want to make you feel bad, but geez, I could make your podcast sound a whole lot better. That guy was cliff Ravenscraft and he has done exactly that. So he introduced me to better equipment, equipment and showed me how to use it, hooked everything up for me. He does all the, post-production 
gets it up on my website and up on iTunes, Stitcher, and those other places where people can download it. So his skill is extremely valuable for that backend technical thing, but I would never want to be tied down to the logistics of having somebody come in, set up equipment, and now I'm ready to do the podcast. I do the podcast, my podcast, I record on Wednesday mornings, but I, I do have a particular time frame, but I love not having anybody around. So for me, it would not be an attractive feature. Now, however, I've also thrown in a couple caveats here that you can follow up on. You can check out to see what Cliff Ravenscraft is doing. He's the podcast answer man. He's positioned himself as such. He has consulted with hundreds of people and helped them set up their own podcast. Now that service is very valuable, but then he does not stand there, show up every week to actually do the recording for them. I think that's too cumbersome. Other people have started podcasting recently, like Mike Hyatt. Uh, he came over here to my place, checked out all my equipment. He got a hold of Cliff Ravenscraft, bought the equipment. He set up again. He does it on his own. He doesn't need anybody else to, to help him do that. Now, if you want to just do the consulting like Cliff is doing and perhaps be an, a distributor for the equipment like Cliff is doing, those are legitimate components that I think have value for people who want to get involved in podcasting. Now, here's another kind of approach you can take. Andy Traub. You can check out Andy Traub, find him through 48days.net. He's very active there. He's one of our 48days.net advisors. He's very active in podcasting. What he does is he doesn't go anywhere, but he works with people, people who are very busy, like Andy Andrews, the author. Andy Traub helps him do a podcast. So he gets Andy on the phone. He has questions that he's going to ask, or he has a guest lined up. And so he does more of the actual production. So there's a place for that involvement as well. You ask what I would do personally. No, it would not be attractive to me. But yes, I think there are people out there. But I think you need to look at just in terms of convenience and simplicity. Don't be dragging equipment around the country. You can do a podcast for businesses. You can take one specific kind of business. You can do podcasts for furniture companies. And you can have 10 of those that you're doing them where they are not in competition because they aren't even in the same cities. So you can do a podcast for somebody in Houston, somebody in Seattle, somebody in Miami, you know, somebody in New York, and you can do those because you do have the equipment, but all you need to do is connect with them via Skype or a phone line. So you have them on, help them do the podcast where you do the production in the back end like that. So yeah, you can do like that, but don't restrict yourself to driving around the country, hauling equipment, I think those days are over and it will restrict you too much in who your prospects are. Well, let's do a little transition here. Just to remind you, you're listening to Dan Miller in a 48 days online radio show where each week we take your questions, your listener questions, unpack those in ways that I hope bring all of us to higher levels of success in the work that we're doing. You know, success principles are highly transferable. So if we talk about something that will make somebody in real estate successful, successful, it can help you in whatever business you're doing as well. If you've got a question, just go to the 48days.com site, click on podcast, and you'll see a little box jump up there and you can submit your question. I'd be happy to, in, in, to consider that for an upcoming show. 
Well, Luis from California says, Dan, I've always marched to the beat of my own drummer. Don't you like the sound of that? Isn't that a cool statement? You know, we, we have that little poem that talks about that marching to the beat of a different drummer, but it, it's a neat kind of concept. So Luis says, yes, I have always marched to the beat of my own drummer. I wanted to tell stories, movies, preferably following that dream. I immigrated from Peru to Los Angeles, struggled for years, wrote a book, worked through my career, got a huge loan. I jumped from gig to gig for five years, common in this industry while continuing my education. Now I'm 30 father of two and am exhausted. I had to cut short my last gig because I was feeling nauseous at work. My father died and I couldn't be by his side. I feel my oldest child has been neglected. I'm subjecting my family to financial hardship. I cannot focus long enough to put a finished drawing in a piece of paper, let alone create a different path. What did I do wrong? How can I get out of this crisis? Well, Luis, to start with, you're 30 years old. Don't beat yourself up too badly. All of us have those early experiences in our career that help in the clarification process. And that's exactly what you've done. But you certainly haven't missed your window of opportunity for success. All you've done is kind of gotten your toes in the water at the front end and discovered some things that are not working well. So obviously you don't want to continue those. But again, I love the idea that you want to march to the beat of your own drummer. But again, using that model, that three-legged stool that I talk about so often is this. The first leg is passion. What are you passionate about? Now you talk about that. You want to tell stories. You know, what is it that you have talent in doing? Apparently you can do some screenwriting. I'm not sure you don't clarify really what you're doing in that industry, but let's say that you can do that. So you have passion and talent. The third leg of the stool is what's your economic model? Meaning, how are you going to make money? That's an important leg of the stool. You don't just say, well, this is what I'm passionate about, so I'm going to do it no matter what. I mean, I see that here in Nashville, Tennessee a lot. Somebody comes to town, hey, they know three chords in that guitar, so they're going to be, you know, they're going to be the next country music star. Well, it may not happen like that. It may require a whole lot more than just having a desire. So what you've got to do and what I encourage you to do is create a realistic economic model. If you can't make money writing screenplays or working in that industry, then by all means move on. And this is not just, again, beating yourself up or feeling guilty or feeling like you've failed. No, it's part of the clarification process. A lot of people try things in the early part of their career and figure out, although they are passionate and they have talent, they can't figure out an economic model. They can't figure out how to make money at it. That's a good reason to move on to do something else. So do that, but create a real plan. You know, don't go out on just a wing and a prayer. Even if it's something you're passionate about. Sometimes we think that, well, if our passion is strong enough, it'll just take care of all the other pieces. No, not necessarily. You, you need to be just as intentional. If you are a musician or you are an actor or a screenplay writer, or you're an artist whatever it is, those things that seem to be more creative and elusive, you need to be just as intentional and strategic as if you were going to open a hardware store and you're deciding what goes in aisle three on the third rack on the fourth shelf up. You've got to be just that strategic. And sometimes people resist that when they have things that seem to be 
more artistic or creative in terms of how they're going to do I'm an, I'm an author, speaker, and coach. Those are not things that lend themselves well to being very specific, but I am. That's why I can tell you what I'm going to be doing at 10 o'clock next Thursday morning. It's already on my schedule. I can tell you in the seven different areas that we want to create revenue in this little company, what are our budgets and what are our projections for revenue generation? I can tell you those things. Now I'm not a real, I'm not a numbers cruncher and I'm not that kind of a strategy guy, but I know that's important if I'm going to be successful in doing the things that I really care about. So go back to the drawing board, look at your passion, identify where your talent is, but then create an economic model for moving forward and being rich, responsible providers. I know you want to be for your family. Well, John, you know, you know, here, hey, here's a little bit. Let me just play a little bit of this as I talk through this a little bit more. <clears throat> you recognize this, you two, my all-time favorite group. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, and that's okay. I mean, one of the reasons I think the song is so popular because it identifies something in so many of us, certainly me as well. I'm still looking for things. I, I don't want to ever feel like I've just got it all put together. It's a done deal. I'm always searching for something better. That's a worthy onward goal. The process of success is not something we make right decisions at 18 years old and boom, go through the next 40 years without having to think or create anything new. Not at all. This is an ongoing, uh, ongoing target. It's a moving target. Success, as we know, is not a destination. It is a direction. So just putting yourself on the path means that you are, by definition, already successful. But be comfortable in that. Welcome that process that I'm still not totally there. You're a different person at 30 years old than you were when you were 20. Very different. You're a candidate for things now that you were not a candidate for when you were 20. At 45, you're going to be a candidate for things that you are not a candidate for now at 30. Recognize this as an ongoing process and enjoy the journey. The old Cervantes saying from Don Quixote, the road is better than the inn. It's not just a matter of getting where you're headed. One of the, one of the principles we have for vacations and our family always did is that the vacation starts when we leave the door of our house. It's not a matter of getting to Disneyland. No, we may have two days in between. That's part of the process. That's part of the fun. That's where we can stop and do anything goofy we want to do, change directions, make new decisions, experience new things, find things we didn't anticipate along the way. Yeah. Enjoy every moment. Be careful about just identifying, well, I'll be successful when and seeing something five years out in the in-between time is just a necessary means to an end. Enjoy the process. Well, John from Minnesota says, I'm 27, married, have a five-year-old and one on the way. I'm an engineer, medical device manufacturer. I'm paid well and it's stable. Your wife calls you a three-year man. That's my wife, Joanne. Yes, she calls me a three-year man. He says, well, I'm a six-month man. I get bored at my job every six months. I'm on my third job in three years, and I've tried a lot of different engineering roles. Without fail, six months into the job, work is like nails on a chalkboard. Ooh, 
My wife is getting frustrated with me and is worried that future employers will question why I get a new job every year. Working with a psychiatrist, we found that I have some ADHD going on. I currently sit at a desk all day writing reports. I need your 48 days profile and I'm a precisionist who needs to have a job that keeps me moving all the time. Help. My passion is home brewing beer and I've thought about getting into this field, but it probably doesn't pay as good. And I'm worried I will get bored with that. Also then I need to explain the huge jump between different careers. It's a good hobby. Nonetheless. All right. (laughs) Well, you know, what you describe, I would have trouble with that. You know, when you have a job, there's typical, typically a sameness in that job. You get paid to do one thing. Well, I'd have a hard time with that. That's why, and I just mentioned a minute ago, you know, I use a Venn diagram. It's three circles that overlap. And if you kind of can create a visual picture of that, if they overlap, not side by side, but they overlap so that there's one section where all three intersect. That's the model I use for my business. Now in that one section where they all intersect in my business, that's my writing. Writing is the core of everything that I do. All the other activities are really positioned to give me more opportunity to write and benefit from that and turn that into income. But having those other areas, if you do a Venn diagram that intersects in that way, and that's on our, that's on our website. If you go to 48 days.com, go to worksheets, you can pull down and, and pull up the Venn diagram that shows exactly the components that I use in 48 days. But by having seven different areas, that means I can have some moving pieces at any time. It's not like I'm doing one thing. So if I get bored, then I sabotage that and figure something else out, which frankly, if I were doing one thing all the time, I would do exactly that. I would sabotage it and figure out how to do something else. So it'd be start, stop, start, stop all the way down the road. But having seven different things means that I can have two at any given time that I'm changing or stopping but I still have five that continue at that particular moment. So there's a lot of fluidity in what's happening, even though I'm continuing to always change things. Hope that makes sense. It's kind of a difficult concept to convey via a podcast, via auditory method. It helps a little bit to have a visual diagram in front of you. If you want to see that again, you can go pull that off our worksheets, but that's, that's how I address the very thing that you're talking about. I would have a hard time. I mean, I've, I've been diagnosed ADHD. I mean, I had some testing done not that long ago. You know, I'm always doing new profiles, inventories, testing, and going to seminars and workshops. But this particular one dealt with the idea of ADHD, dyslexia. And it says, yeah, you know, you're ADHD. It says, whatever you do, don't have a window in your workspace because it'll be too distracting. You need to have like a cubicle around you so you can just simply focus on one thing. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. I'd go berserk. I'd go nuts if I had to work in that kind of environment. I have a big window in my work environment. I have a big window where if I'm working with somebody as a coaching client, they're sitting in my office out of my peripheral vision. I see the squirrels that are out there. I see the turkeys that wander by. I may see a, a deer and a couple of fawn. You know, I hear the birds. I, I hear the waterfall right outside. My, I have all kinds of things that distract me. It helps make a rich, fulfilling work environment. I don't want to narrow down. I thought, man, that's really goofy advice for somebody like me. I certainly wouldn't function well in that. But understanding yourself well is a starting point. 
but recognize you may need multiple things that you're doing rather than than the restraints of a traditional job. And what that does, it puts a responsibility on you. Then how are you going to produce? Now, if you're just jumping from one thing to the other and you never complete anything, then it's hard to really have you know, productivity or income generation from that. So you're going to have to be careful of that. I mean, I have enough things that I complete that I do work them through so that they turn in income. But if I have major projects like a book manuscript, I don't just sit down and just do it from start to finish. I do it in blocks of time. Uh, probably the one thing that has helped me more than anything else is focused, uninterrupted blocks of time for my work. But that also lets me work on multiple things at the same time. So I may work on a manuscript for two hours, but then I switch gears. Then I do a podcast or then I talk to somebody, have a coaching session. So I have multiple things. They all kind of link together. Activity in any one fuels activity and, and success in the others, but they're certainly very, very different. And I would encourage you to do the same. Whether you can do that in a work environment in a traditional company environment, or you have to create work on your own, you're probably going to have to create the multiple things that you're involved in. So you don't burn out and having to do just one at a time. Lee says, I work in a job that is high stress. It's making me sick and it's going nowhere. I want to start a line of t-shirts. I know what they will say, but I haven't the texture I want. Where do I begin? I'm eager to start and don't want to find a new job, but instead transition in my own business. Thanks for your help. Okay. You're in a job that's high stress. You want to start a line of t-shirts. Now that's a cool idea. However, you have to also recognize there's about a bazillion and one other companies out there that are making t-shirts. So you get your work cut out for you and having something that's unique enough to stand out and Know that just making t-shirts will not make you successful and rich. Selling them will. Now to exaggerate that point, you will have a whole lot more success if you never make a t-shirt on your own, but you can go out and sell a million t-shirts that other people have already made. Then if you make the coolest t-shirt line that has ever been created in the history of the world since Adam and Eve, but you don't know how to sell. So again, be careful of putting too much emphasis on the making process. The making process is very labor and time intensive. It's costly. That's not where money is made. It's in selling them. So make sure now, now what I would recommend incidentally, I would never recommend that you quit a job and think you're going to make money selling t-shirts. Frankly, I think it's going to be really challenging to do that. Experiment with these cool sayings that you think you have that you're going to have on shirts. Now, again, that's not a novel idea. A lot of people have done that. I mean, check out sites like uh, despair.com. I love what they do. They do uh, motivational sayings in reverse. Like uh, they've got a shirt that says, don't ever change. I always want to be better than you. I mean, I love the ironic, cynical twist, sarcastic twist that they do on the motivational stuff. So, you know, sometimes, you know, your life may just be meant to serve as a bad example to others and so on. So check out despair.com because they've got a whole lot of really cool sayings there, but then you can experiment with your own sayings on shirts without having to choose the texture, without having to come up with a really good fabric. You can go to places. Um, I'm going to give you three places here that you can go to do this very thing. Zazzle, Cafe Press, and Threadless. 
Those are all places where you can design a shirt. You can say, this is the cool saying I want to put on there. You have no investment, no cost, no startup. I mean, even if you do, even if you produce shirts and they're eight bucks a piece and you produce 40 of them, well, let's, let's say you produce, you know, 50 of them, that's 400 bucks that you got to invest just to do that. And I know a whole lot of people who have garages full of t-shirts that they want to give away. I was just in a conference down in Atlanta with uh, my friend, Kent Julian. He pulled out, he said he has enough boxes to last from now till the end of the world that say, live it forward. His website on there. As a matter of fact, I think it was a previous slogan previous website that he used where he had a whole bunch of t-shirts and the t-shirts didn't mean anything to anybody but him so now he's got all these t-shirts he'll end up using you know for his kids when they have a car washing event they'll use the t-shirts as rags perhaps but there there's no way to sell them but experiment with your sayings on these sites again zazzle cafe press and threadless without having to gear up to produce them yourself the money is made in selling not in production Keep that in mind. Let me grab a couple more here. Arlena from Virginia says, I've been listening to Think and Grow Rich. I'm up to chapter three. I'm worried. I listen to your podcast and read 48 days up to the sending out my resume to businesses. My list of dislikes remain large and my list of likes are one or two things that are never constant. I have goals, but I lack in the faith or belief that I can accomplish them. So it's difficult to link them to any emotion that I can really reach them. I know that trying to change is difficult. After I become debt free, I realized that after I became debt free, I realized that I needed to make a change from accepting things because I have no faith in myself and didn't value myself and moving toward things that I want. So I'm kind of stuck. Do you have any advice? Yes, I do. You know, I hear people talk about, you know, all they can identify are the things they don't like. And that is part of the clarifying process. And I don't have any passion. You know, I'm just trapped in, low self-esteem. Well, my, my suggestion is take action. There's nothing that I can recommend more to break the cycle of all those things that I just described. Take action. I mean, passion is not found in a vacuum. That's not something you just go out and sit on a hillside and try to find your passion. Passion is something you find while you're doing things. I mean, I've done and enjoyed so many different things because I've done so many different things. Now, this is going to sound like double talk here for a minute, but just bear with me. I didn't decide in advance that that I was passionate about working on cars. Rather, I discovered I was passionate about cars while I was working on cars. Now, some things I've started out of necessity and then discovered my passion for that very thing in the doing. So if you eliminate everything in advance, you're left with nothing. At some point, you have to make the commitment, even if you don't feel the passion first. And again, we've got the, the chicken and the egg here, the horse, horse in the cart. You can act your way into a new feeling. But if you wait on the feeling, you may never start anything. So get in the game. Don't just eliminate everything. At some point, you have to decide, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Even if you don't feel passionate about it. I mean, passion comes often from being committed to something that you know you have the ability to do and you can do with excellence. So you jump in there and guess what? You discover, yeah, you really are passionate about it. You develop your skills in that way. Well, we've got lots of questions here. If you've got a question, just go to the 48days.com site, click on podcast. You'll see the little 
starburst jump out at you there, you can submit your question there. I'd be delighted to consider it for an upcoming 48 Days Online radio show. Again, I want to remind you a couple things that we've got going on here. The 48days.net community continues to grow. That's a place where you really can find other people who are on the same path, people who are committed to finding or creating the work that they love. Check out the resources there. Uh, no, no cost to be a member there. It's just a community of people who are like-minded on the same path. Well, thanks for not being content with mediocrity. A lot of the questions we had today had to do with that, just being frustrated with mediocrity. Don't do that. If you're frustrated, that's good enough reason to check out some new options, explore things for moving ahead into work that is meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable. I know you can do it. Let us know what your results are. Have a great week.